This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. How's it, Mzanzi? Welcome to another virtual Farmers Inside Track episode. My name is Corbus Lawrence, and I am the co-founder of South Africa's leading agricultural and lifestyle news platform. On the line from elsewhere is editor of Food for Mzanzi, Dawn Numdu. Dawn, how are you doing? I think I'm finally starting to get the hang of this virtual thing, Corbus. My second interview with you, and it's actually going fairly well. I'm barely surviving the lockdown, <laughs> but it's good overall. Thanks. So Dawn, I'm really excited about our guest for this podcast. Christophane Rieda is the Deputy Director of AgriSA. AgriSA is, of course, a non-profit organization set up in 1904 to help develop a stable, profitable agricultural environment within the country. They've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes with COVID-19, uh, negotiating with government, you know, setting things up. So South African agriculture is able to to operate and to keep supplying the country with food. So looking forward to talking to Christo just now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. We welcome on the line Christopher Rieder, the Deputy Director at AgriSA. Good evening, Christo. Good evening to you and your listeners. Good evening, Christo, and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Where are you spending your 21 days in lockdown? Are you in Pretoria or at your beach house? No, I've got a small flatlet there in Pretoria, but then I said to my wife, let us rather flee back to Azerfontein, Cape Town. So I'm here with my kids and my dog. So uh, yes, we're in a space where we're very fortunate. We can watch the sea and the beach every day uh, from our house. Uh, but at the same time, it's a 24-hour job that we have to do uh, in the interest of the agriculture sector and food security. Christo, maybe if you can just start by telling us what AgriSA's response is to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm not sure if it's giving you sleepless nights, but my brain is constantly thinking about it. We were called by the minister that was uh, just before this COVID-19 lockdown started. The minister asked us to become part of a task team. So our first job at a task team was to ensure that food and food supplies and all the related services are declared an essential service. So once that was done, obviously it was then important for us to set up uh, communication lines with all of our farmers. So on a daily basis, we meet with either the provincial affiliates or the commodity affiliates or the corporate affiliates. And then we discuss problems. Obviously, each part of the value chain within the agriculture sector has their unique set of problems. The farmer, obviously, he is worried about harvesting the product and getting the product to market. Uh, commodities are worried about whether they will be able to export their goods and whether they will be able to transport it across provinces, etc. And then your corporate sector are more worried about imports, ensuring that they have uh, you know, access to the goods once it arrives in the harbors. So yes, uh, horses for courses, and every time we had a job to ensure that 
we engage with government to address the specific needs of each of the parts of the value chain. What's your sense um, from the ground? What's it, what's it like for your constituents, uh, the people your organization reports during this crisis? I think commercial agriculture is still in a very good space. They continue to deliver their services. Uh, yes, there are other factors such as the exchange rate and the drop in the rand that obviously makes import goods much more expensive. But at the same time, the oil price is very low at this point in time. So yes, on the one hand, you are being hit by a plank and uh, on the other hand, you are giving, being given a, an incentive. So it's a fine balancing act, but we're just very happy that we can supply with food. And if you look at other countries in the world where people employ the wrong policies, South Africa is in a very fortunate position in that we've got a very strong and sophisticated commercial agriculture sector that can supply food at the lowest price and at the best quality to the poorest of the poor in this country. So within that framework, we've got very good cooperation from government. We've got very good cooperation between ourselves, the police and the army, and we're on daily basis in contact with them. And yes, there's a massive responsibility that rests on the shoulder of agriculture. Whilst we perform this essential service, that we do not find ourselves in a spot where we are guilty of practices that might lead to the further spread of the virus. So we appeal to every farmer, to every role player out there, you know, whilst you're busy caring for the country in terms of food supplies, just make sure that you do not trespass any of the rules or regulations that relate to the curbing of the further spread of this virus. Crystal, we just wanted to get your thoughts this week. The minister announced the 1.2 billion rand that the department is making available specifically for smallholder and communal farmers. Um, what are your thoughts on this and how are commercial farmers actually responding to this? If you compare the 1.5 billion that the minister has given to small-scale farmers, that is nothing in comparison with the assistance that government has provided to commercial farmers in terms of uh, ensuring that it remains an essential good and that the related services uh, were also declared as an essential service. Uh, in addition to that, we have opened up a lot of new opportunities. If you look just today at the regulations that were amended, permits that should be provided to allow farmers to transport, you know, big machinery from the harbor or uh, between farms or wherever on low beds, those abnormal loads, those permits were now deemed an essential service. And in addition to that, wine exports are allowed. So these amendments, given the agriculture sector, the commercial sector, a new lifeline, and that will still enable them to take advantage of this crisis. And it's an advantage if you translate that into rand value, it amounts to billions of rands. So I think a government has an obligation towards uh, small-scale farmers, and that's more from a welfare point of view to ensure that those farmers take care of their immediate families and uh, local communities. And I think that's the right thing to do. On the other hand, I think government has done quite a lot to assist commercial farmers with continuing delivering uh, food supplies and assisting them with a lot of regulations that uh, were amended in support of things that, that farmers were not able to do right at the start, for example, wine exports, etc. At the same time, I think government must just keep its eye on the ball because there are many farmers that are still struggling in drought-stricken areas, and I think they will have to come up with a plan. And I think uh, your banks and your land banks will have to step in there to assist commercial farmers. 
I was just about to ask about that. Uh, we know many farmers are still just about on their knees because of drought and, and other economic factors. Do you think there's a chance of um, financial aid still coming for the commercial sector? Yes, definitely. Remember, the Western Cape provincial government has provided quite a lot of assistance. Us as AgriSA has our own drought fund, and we've also provided relief to commercial farmers as well as your uh, smaller scale farmers. And then the Northern Cape province has also given the bulk of their funding to your uh, commercial farmers. But what we actually need is a sort of government guarantee. If government can get, provide a guarantee that will enable these farmers to perhaps they don't have to pay back the interest on those loans or they can get a payment holiday to some extent. These farmers need assistance because they've got massive, massive debt levels and we need assistance from your commercial banks and land bank. But we need a government guarantee to back that assistance up. Christo, it seems like AgriSA has got a great relationship with government, but there still seems to be a bit of tension between commercial farmers and government. Are commercial farmers feeling hard and understood at this point in time? What's the feeling on the ground at the moment? I think it depends on the position those farmers find themselves in. Obviously, if I'm a commercial farmer and I'm in a drought-stricken area and I haven't seen any assistance from government, but at the same time, I must pay back my loan, at the same time, I must pay my workers, at the same time, I must pay my rates and taxes, and I must contribute in so many ways to, in terms of food security and everything that goes with that, then I will feel very despondent because I expect my government to take care of me irrespective of my skin color or my race, ethnicity. So yes, I've got great empathy for those farmers and that's why we continue to engage with government to assist those farmers. But remember at this point in time, the COVID crisis is dominating the entire space. And we've brought that just back onto the agenda, uh, the issue of drought assistance. But then you've got a large complement of farmers that are very fortunate in South Africa. They continue with the exports. They've had a very good uh, deciduous fruit season. They've had a very good table grape uh, season. Even the wine farmers are boasting about good wines that will be available in due course. And then your grain farmers in the northern parts of the country have had very good rains. So yes, they expect a bumper crop. And their expectation is that they need access to the market. And in that space, we have opened up those spaces through our engagement with government. And those farmers have nothing but praise for government. So we need to be very careful when we think about the perceptions of government or farmers towards government, because it really depends on their fortunes at this point in time. Christo, do you think we're still going to see a major impact on farm employment from COVID? We've already heard of some of the smaller scale farmers who have had to lay off workers. Um, how do you see this playing out? And that is a difficult one to answer at this point in time. Remember, we've seen how the wine farmers had to rely on big numbers of casual workers and permanent workers to help them with the harvesting of their grapes. Uh, it's now the citrus season and the macadamia nut season is coming into play. So those farmers rely on thousands and thousands of casual and permanent workers to assist them. So this is obviously a seasonal thing. 
where perhaps see job losses, perhaps in certain commodities, for example, your wool growers as well as your cotton growers, because if they are not given the opportunity to export their stuff, it could have a cash flow impact. But according to the amendment, this is afternoon, I still need to go and study it. I think being given a lifeline to continue with the sharing of sheep, continue with the harvesting of cotton, the baling of it, and to continue exporting it. I think a big part in all of this is obviously communication and taking the little wins as the process continues. But in your opinion, are you confident that President Sala Ramaphosa will be able to get us through this? I've got the greatest admiration for President Ramaphosa's action that he took. And I think all of us were a bit despondent over time after he took up the reins. And we thought that he is now going to turn the country around. And things didn't happen the way it was supposed to happen because I think he was politically in a very, very bad space. But there's nothing as good as a crisis. Uh, and if you can turn this crisis around, you know, the way he have done it, then I think he currently finds himself in a very, very good political space. He did the right thing. Uh, remember, this COVID virus is transferred from one person to the other. And the only way was there is no medicine or cure for it. The only way you can curb it is to make sure that you, first and foremost, contain movement of people. Secondly, to identify people who are carrying the virus. Thirdly, to ensure that people are isolated and if they are indeed carrying it, that they are then quarantined. And if you look at our numbers as opposed to uh, the US numbers and uh, the European numbers, then we have managed, really managed this crisis very, very well in that we have activated the lockdown very quickly we have isolated the amount of people, and now we even go further. And for this, I've got great admiration for uh, Minister McKeese in the fact that they are now sending people out to go to the communities and to determine who are possible carriers of this virus. And that's a very courageous step. Even the World Health Organization commends them for doing so. If we can uh, contain the spread of the virus, I will predict that we will lift the lockdown maybe within on the 16th of April. Or we might maybe expand it for another week, but I think we shouldn't continue with this lockdown too long. Because if we do so, then we will have to roll out a national food hamper system just to make sure that the most vulnerable communities have uh, enough food in their houses to, to stop them from moving to shops and then in the process or getting into a taxi and in the process then carry the virus with them. Chris, too, there are probably some more tough decisions ahead for government. Like I believe deciding on a lockdown must have been quite a tough decision. What are some of these decisions that you're still expecting from government? The only tough decisions really relates to curbing the spread of the virus. In other words, if you find that, there's, for example, there's a big number of people in a specific area, take Kailicha or Michel's Plain or Belvo or wherever, or Pretoria, then you'll have to go in and lock down that entire area. And then you'll have to restrict movement. You will have to then even stop the supply of essential services and essential goods as well. And then you'll just have to send in medical teams with the necessary supplies to go and isolate those communities. That will be a very, very drastic step, obviously. But I think government is very, very conscious about the economic impact, the social impact of this disaster. But on the other hand, it also made them aware of all the fault lines in society in terms of uh, the lack of proper housing, the lack of proper infrastructure, the lack of proper medical care. 
And I think if there's one thing that comes out of this crisis is the fact that it's a wake-up call. Not only to politicians, not only the government, but the entire society. You cannot have a society with this massive gap between rich and poor and with the majority of our people still living in squalor because that is a breeding place for all kinds of diseases. And you don't know what might even get a new life in that type of areas, what kind of disease. We've seen the disaster impact of Ebola. We've seen the disaster impact of so many other diseases and now the COVID. So yes, uh, if there's one thing that we can learn from this uh, situation is one, take care of your food supplies. Two, make sure that you have proper and decent living circumstances for your people. And thirdly, make sure that you are ready for any disaster. And fourthly, take care of nature. Because if you destroy nature, eventually you destroy yourselves in the process. Chris, keeping what you've just said in mind, how do you see South Africa and specifically the agricultural industry post this COVID-19 period? What does it look like to you? Look, we put a lot of building blocks in, in place uh, way before uh, this disaster. One, I'm driving a massive project to build uh, the capacity and to assist uh, a new generation of black farmers unlocking agricultural land, making sure that these farmers do not just supply food for their own households, but they are commercial farmers in the truest sense of the word. Now, it's no easy task. It's one of the most challenging things to do because on the one hand, land is there, the people are there, but your biggest problem is access to finance. It's uh, production loans and those type of things. That one we put in place. Secondly, a massive training program was also put in place. And we've just started to align the agricita and the services that they provide with uh, the needs of the industry. Thirdly, another process that we are also embarking upon is to see to what extent we can make water available via boreholes, via other systems to ensure people have access to land, that they have access to water, that they have access to capital so that they can produce food. And then fourthly, ensuring that people apply best practices when it comes to agriculture, because we cannot be seen as destroyers of natural resources. The good Lord has entrusted those resources, natural resources to farmers in many respects, you know, water and land. So there's a massive responsibility on us to ensure that we take care of our natural resources. But more so, we also have deeper appreciation for farm workers. On the other hand, I think there will be a massive move towards mechanization. And obviously, if that is happening, we need to ask ourselves to what extent do we ensure that we create workers for the future, agriculture workers for the future, who can manage then this new technology. Because this argument that we must have have thousands of farm workers doesn't sit well with me because there's no way that you can pay farm workers the same salary as an office worker because due to the lack of skill. So I think the future of most of our farm workers do not lie in continuing to work on the farm. We must reskill those farm workers and move towards, move them into the manufacturing space because that is where, you know, economic growth sits and economic growth opportunities and more money per capita is sort of embedded. So yes, there's a lot of changes that will occur. And I think luckily for the commercial sector, we were not unprepared for this to a large extent. That saves the day for South Africa. Crystal, I think in terms of sectors that have been highlighted and sort of had to step out and into the front line has also been media and publications. 
specifically to, to curb the spreading of fake news and giving people access to information that is accurate. What do you think is the importance of diversity in agricultural media to showcase the greater diversity of farmers and specifically agricultural workers within the, the media industry? I think there's two little media taking care of your small-scale farmers and your black farmers. Your traditional media has a historic bias towards your commercial farmers. And the reason for that is because that's where the opportunity for advertisement lies. And to a large extent, uh, you know, it's your advertisements, uh, the fact that big suppliers and big institutions uh, advertise their products. So obviously, you will, as a media house, you will try to link those suppliers and big uh, institutions with your commercial farmers. Uh, The bias is then a sort of natural outflow of that relationship. But at the same time, it's one thing to focus on the year and now. Uh, We need to focus on the future. Where is the Black Farmer magazine? And sorry, I stated very bluntly, uh, but we have the Lambo Weekbloods and the Farmer Weeklies. And if they do not have appetite for showcasing the commercial black farmers, then I think there is an opportunity for that uh, to happen. I want to really move away from this notion of labeling farmers, because in South Africa, we've got this habit of you're a subsistence farmer, you're a small-scale farmer, and then by virtue of that, you're black. And you're a small-scale commercial farmer or a mega farmer, and by virtue of that, you're, you're white. We have created what we call the Professional Farmers Institute within AgriSA. Those philosophies are bedrock for the creation of a new generation of farmers. Irrespective of the color, we want all of them, whether you farm on one hectare of land with microgreens or on two hectares of land with uh, chicken, uh, poultry, or 20,000 hectares of land with sheep, uh, you must be a professional farmer. And the professional farmer has uh, three basic tenets. One, it's a farmer that has a deep and sound economic understanding of the world and how it works. Secondly, it has a deep understanding of the environment, right, and appreciation of the environment, very conscious about the impact of farming on the environment. And then thirdly, farmer that has a deep understanding of the socioeconomic. In other words, to what extent my farming impact the local community and to what extent do we create more value within a particular value chain for those communities to benefit from. Because the biggest danger that I foresee is that we are creating a world with this massive divide between poor and the rich, and that we have this island, these islands of wealth. And it's not sustainable, a world where 80% of your population remain poor. So we need to create value. And then obviously, the other building blocks are obviously the constitutional rights that they regard as absolutely critical for wealth creation. And that's one, title deeds. In other words, security of tenure, property rights. Because if you have property, then throughout the history, people have had access to property and have the right to own their property, that piece of land. Those people are in a position to create wealth, not only for the current generation, but also for the next generation. And in South Africa, the majority of our people were denied that right due to apartheid. So our job is to ensure that we expand property rights and not reduce it. That's why I'm personally against changing the constitution, because if the problem is not Section 25. Section 25 currently guarantees property rights. In fact, we need to strengthen property rights and expand property rights to every citizen in this country. Because you have a property and that property grows in value, then you can access that additional money You can start a business, you can send your kids to university, you can leave that property for the next generation and next generation. 
And we've seen it all over the world where property right is a constitutional right that is protected and guaranteed by everyone and respected by everyone. Those are the countries where you know wealth creation uh, is a natural occurrence as opposed to one where the state wants to control everything. And then wealth creation is just meant for the selected few. And they are normally the elite politicians. We're definitely talking the same language, especially when it comes to professionalizing agriculture. As you know, Food Form Zanzi, we make it our mission to not only give a new perspective on commercial farming, but also to highlight the role of the less represented sectors in in agriculture. Finally, if I can maybe ask you a lighter question, we've been stalking you on social media a bit, and we noticed that you've been uploading videos of you playing different pieces on the piano during lockdown. Is this your way of coping? Yes, no, no. I'm an avid musician. In fact, I started off my career as a musician, and my dream was to go to a big university and become a concert pianist. Unfortunately, that was not meant to be. I absolutely love music. It gives me a lot of inspiration. And uh, that's what I do in the evenings. I serenade for myself, my dog and my wife and my kids. And then I've decided to share it with a wider audience. And I hope they appreciate it. Well, I think, Chris, too, at Food from Zanzi, we definitely appreciate it. So thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Maybe I must write a, a title song for Food from Zanzi. Yes, for sure. <laughs> That was Christo van der Reede, Deputy Director at AgriSA. Thank you so much for joining us and all the best with the rest of your lockdown. Pleasure, ma'am. Thank you. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.